Welcome to Hemp Foundation Talks, where we listen to the heartbeats of the hemp industry and learn the celebrations, challenges, and discoveries from hemp leaders and advocates from around the world. I'm Rebecca, International Business Officer with Hemp Foundation and your host. Today's guest is Paul Benham. Paul was born in London, UK, and is now living in Molumbibi, Australia. Paul discovered the nutritional qualities of hemp seed while in Canada in 1991, and this led to traveling the world searching for answers as to why this Echo Wonder plant was not being widely accepted. He created his own chocolate bar based on hemp seed. Upon reaching supermarket level acceptance, he considered the product a success, the best-selling health food bar in supermarkets, and moved on to create a range of other products, including hemp milk, hemp ice cream, hemp bread, and more for various companies. These products continue to be successful. Paul also developed a commercial hemp-based plastic as an alternative to mainstream petrochemicals. This environmentally friendly alternative is now being used in a number of products. His skills in promoting and marketing a sensitive, not well-known product to the mainstream have proven valuable in Paul's projects, including founding a number of businesses, authoring nine books, producing two music CDs and a TV pilot DVD called Not The Cooking Show. Working in Australia in the hemp industry and as a manager of a luxury health spa led Paul to his goal to create a truly sustainable health retreat business community center. And he has been accumulating knowledge to this end throughout his career. Higher Nature was next. Founder of Zeo International, formerly Zelfo Australia, and founder of the not-for-profit NGO Common Unity Foundation, where Paul assists those with a vision of setting up community. He also founded the Southern Hemisphere's largest hemp food production company, Hemp Foods Australia, in 1999, and brought it through to legislative changes in 2017 as a CEO. Also co-founder and CEO of Alexanol LLC, one of the world's largest manufacturers of whole plant CBD hemp oil, low THC in bulk, OEM and branded products. Also CEO of Alexanol Global Limited from inception through IPO, growing the company from 100 million to over one to 2 billion. Paul is now chairman of the hemp plastic company and non-executive director of Alexanol Global. Paul, welcome to Hemp Foundation Talks. It is such an honor to have a seasoned pioneer such as yourself on our show. I think over 26 years of insights in hemp from multiple successful brands in hemp foods and supplements and hemp plastics and more. So please tell us a little bit more about your journey. What motivated you to pave a path into hemp even before it was, it was as recognized as it is today? Thanks, Rebecca. Um, I think it's a great question to start off with. Uh, um, I started off, um, I left school quite early. I was um, looking at what I could do at university. Um, I was particularly interested in food and nutrition, but didn't find anything that I completely agree with um, in terms of the core. I did um, head off um, traveling. Um, to see if I could experience some of the world. And I went to Asia uh, to start with. Uh, the first countries I visited was Thailand. Um, I soon, at, at a very young age, found that there was some nice party beaches, um, which, was, which was great fun. 
but that only lasted probably like a long weekend for me. Um, whereas when, when I realized where I was, I was brought up in middle-class London, um, very different to, to Asia, um, um, islands with boats and no roads. Um, and I soon found it fascinating. I thought, well, I want to see what this culture is about, where it comes from. So I decided to go for to where there was the most remote places. And I did that by looking at the Lonely Planet Guide. You used to use that before the internet. Um, and actually, these places very little written about it. And that ended up taking me to the north of Thailand and then eventually to the northeast um, around Nong Kai, which is on the Mekong River uh, on the border of Laos. Um, where I spent um, uh, some time in a small village where nobody spoke English whatsoever, but they were very welcoming. And that was my first lesson is that how to communicate with people without words, without language mm. um, and without any cultural background connection and found that I, I could actually connect with these people and actually be part of, um, I guess, their habits, their journey, their, what they were doing you know, throughout the day. So I soon observed what they were doing, which was uh, waking up, um, going into the garden very early. Um, and this was mainly the women going into the garden, harvesting the plants, tending for the plants, tending for their kids, coming back, making food. Um, and uh, the men joined when, they, when the food came and they ate the food. Um, and then the men slept and then the women didn't really sleep and went cleaned up so I found it a bit of a sexist um, <laughs> um, way of, of living to be honest but um uh but everyone seemed to kind of work in harmony in a, in a structure that was all around food and nutrition mm. um and, and that's why I was going wow you know these people who were literally living in shit sorry to use that word but um they were literally living in, in, a, in a in a dirty and also as I said middle class London you wash your hands you get clean you wash come in with clean clothes and these people were um, living in, in not so clean circumstances, but were the healthiest, most vibrant mm. people that I'd ever met. And I was like, what is going on here? Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I started to look and watch their food habits. And without the words, without the story behind it, it was much easier to observe. So I found myself in quiet reflection. Um, I ended up discovering meditation while I was there and, and really dived deep into what they were doing, uh, which led me to going, okay, now I want to study these parts of nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I realized that they were eating foods as fresh from nature as possible. No processed foods were there whatsoever. Um, they weren't eating all the time. Um, they were eating relatively simple foods, maybe spicy foods, but simple nonetheless. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I just looked into what, what was in those foods. And I discovered two things. One is and before I come to what was in those foods, was that it was the lifestyle, it was the coming together, it was right. the community, it was the working in harmony without complications, without hundreds of things going on. That ended up being uh, one of the biggest things that I learned. The other thing I learned was that eating foods as close to nature and unprocessed, which means anything in a packet whatsoever, mm -hmm. um, mean, meant that they were getting the full amounts of essential fatty acids. And that is where I just kind of latched onto and, and decided to look into. And the more I looked into that, the more I, I, it led me back to North America, into Canada, in fact, um, where I, um, I went to health food trade shows looking for people studying essential fatty acids. And I read the book Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill. And I actually read that while I was in India. So I was going back and forth from Thailand and then India. And I spent a lot of time in North India. 
um, where I was teaching meditation and yoga and oh, wow. just basically went with a backpack full of books where I was reading mm -hmm. all about the subjects that I was interested in. Um, and I discovered that in India, there was also similar cultures around food, at least traditionally, um, and all led me to essential fats. Essential fats in uh, Dr. Udo Erasmus's book said that there was one paragraph saying that hemp was the perfect balance of mm. um, essential fatty acids. And I wondered why no one else was using that um, that product. Um, and I actually had to go and see Dr. Udo Erasmus myself. So that's what led me to Canada trade show. I met with Udo Erasmus, you know, in a dance after the day's work was done. And <laughs> I got him on the dance floor, literally on the dance floor. I was like, it's the only way I can get this guy. <laughs> an appointment. I was a young, you know, long haired guy at the time. And um, I said to him, so why do you have the book, the Bible on essential fatty acids? You talk everything about it and you're saying about him. Why isn't it the best fat in the world book? Um, and he said, well, and this is the key for me was, was really my, you know, the beginning of my career when I said, when he said, well, people believe hemp is a drug. And I said, mm. well, is it a drug? Does it contain THC? He said, well, not in any ways that will be psychoactive for you or, or get you high. And I was going, well, so why don't you promote it then? It's like, because I don't want to change people's minds. So this was before he brought out Udo's oils, which was basically a blend of natural products that created pretty much the equivalent of what was in hemp. So I went away going, okay, um, I don't care what people think. I was young, naive, thinking I could change the world very easily. <laughs> and for sure, I have a little bit, but not, 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 in the, not, not as easy as I expected. Um, because, you know, the logic and the science was behind hemp. The logic and the science was behind people consuming essential fatty acids. And the challenges in health I see around the world were because essential fatty acids uh, weren't being consumed regularly. Um, mm. So I knew that that was going to change. And thankfully today, lots of people, you know, essential fatty acids are supplements everywhere. And everyone knows how to consume them. Um, but it took many years um, before people realized that. Um, and I decided that I was going to get people to eat hemp seeds um, because that was the solution. And that led me ultimately to going back to Europe, back to the UK, where I came from, saying, well, who actually is creating hemp seeds? Because I'm going to help them. I'm, I'm here. I'm young, passionate, <laughs> got lots of energy. I'm going to volunteer my time. And there was nobody there. Wow. So um, that's when I went to the history books and, and the, the things that I learned about hemp, um, including um, The Emperor Wears No Clothes from Jack Herrera. And it basically said, you know, the, these Eastern European countries had been using hemp for centuries. So I was like, okay, I need to go to Eastern Europe, buy some hemp seeds and sell them. So I went to Hungary um, with a wonderful translator that, that um, was working as part of a textile company. They took me around and they took me to small villages where they've been creating, building and harvesting hemp and by hand for as long as history goes back so they basically said yeah we've always done this my grandfather's brothers we've always made, made hemp into traditional foods there so i asked them to buy basically what was a ton of hemp seeds which was a lot for them a lot for me and um, i got it shipped <laughs> over to the uk where i sat and look at this hemp seeds and going wow this is all a bird seed because that's what it was pretty much useful how am i going to get people to eat this 
Um, and that was my next kind of inspiration was like, well, people love sugar. So why don't I put something <laughs> sweet around it and call it a chocolate bar um, or an ice cream? So I decided to create a chocolate bar. It was a carob bar, in fact, at the time and um, mixed it with other seeds that I was inspired from my in the Indian recipes that I learned as I was focusing on food studies over in India. And I created um, the Nine Bar, which was the first commercial hemp food product, which I sold to friends and then the first health food shop. <laughs> in northwest wales in the middle of nowhere in the uk um and um within a year it became extremely popular distributed around the world um around particularly around europe um and is now i think probably the most successful hemp food product in the world selling hundreds of millions of products so wow. um that's what really started me off and then like rocketed me to like wow okay people really do need this and it was <laughs> because of the theory that all i had to do is get hemp seeds into people's mouths and their brains would do the rest as in the brains would say this is really good food eat more of this because mm -hmm. everyone's body needs essential fats so yeah um it was kind of addictive in a natural way um so it's bad to use that word relating to a potential drug but um it, it wasn't a drug and it wasn't physically addictive but their brains made the choice that their bodies liked that and they should have more so people kept consuming um hemp foods and um yeah that then it continued onwards and i made hemp milks hemp breads hemp tea hemp miso a whole bunch of products made from hemp expanded and from there in the uk and that ended up leading me to Australia in the turn of the century. And that is where I find myself today, 22 years later, where I came here to change hemp foods because it wasn't legal when I first came here 22 years ago. Wow. Um, and I, that would be a quick year's, year's plan. And we went and lobbied politicians and made changes. And I shared them the success of Europe and uh, thought that would happen really easily. Um, but it was phenomenal to find out that um, they didn't change the laws and it took 17 years in fact wow. to change the laws for hemp foods but again that led to that that was that was awesome because it it, it allowed me the space to to write books i'd written one book in europe i ended up writing nine different books i wrote business courses and i mentored companies around the world to create their own food hemp foods particularly companies but i wrote and studied on hemp building um, and, and a bunch of other things as well so so it's a long answer to, to how it started me but it, it's what led me to where i am today and, and, and um yeah yeah so that's that's amazing i mean so basically you've kind of paved the path of educating people through the books that you've written and different things in order to to get hemp to where it is kind of today um mm. how did you endure like so many years of advocating for hemp amongst mm. the slow road of changing mm. laws yeah well that's one of the things um i've learned in my life about success is that success is built upon failure um, so the, the more persistent you can be through failures, the more lessons you learn, and you don't see them as failures. I never see anything as a failure. Yeah. I see everything as a learning lesson. So what did I learn from that? How can I do that better? So I'm always, I feel like I'm always building on, on each of my life's experiences, which, um, takes, has taken me to where I am. And, you know, now I sit on various boards, um, of businesses and companies around the world to, to share with them those experiences. So they don't have to learn those experiences again, um, and, and can basically jumpstart um, their success. And I think that's, 
you know, I think that's, you know, if I had a piece of advice for everyone is don't give up. If you believe in something and you know it's real and you're doing it for the right reasons, yeah. um, then there, there is no giving up. There is, it's just how long it takes to get to where you're going. Mm-hmm. For sure. So where we're at now, what excites you about the future growth and further expansion of hemp into the marketplace? So from, mm-hmm. you know, just from seeing your experience and the challenges over the years to kind of where we're at now and there's, I, I feel like there's more of a, you know, consciousness that is opened up where people um, see the benefits and are realizing to just the damage that we've done to our planet over the years. And, you know, mm-hmm. hemp is really a necessity now and there's so mm-hmm. many different applications. And I know you, you've also had experience not only in just food, but also utilizing hemp in, in different areas. Maybe you can share a little bit more about that. Sure. I mean, for me, hemp has been a necessity, um, you know, for, for decades now. And and yeah, you're right. There is a growing consciousness and awareness around the fact that um, hemp can make a difference for numerous reasons. The fact that it's, you know, one single plant that has really has so many uses um, and, that, and can be grown around the world as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it is a, a no brainer in, in some respects to, to use it more. Um, I think for me, you know, the future is, is, in, is, is in many parts of hemp. You mentioned before that, you know, the, the education was important. For me, in the modern world that we live in, there is so much information out there. So I think yeah. the way I now focus my education is more on creating commercially viable products in the mm. mainstream. Um, because that's how we make our choices. That gives power to people to make a choice. Do I want to buy this hemp product or do I want to buy this fossil fuel product or processed product? And, you know, giving people the opportunity to choose with their wallets, with their daily decisions. I think for me, that's the best educational and most empowering tool that we all have. Um, So where do I see that moving in the future? I think, you know, hemp food still has a long way to go. I think, you know, the people in, you know, a niche niche market in health still and health is a growing segment of the world of course um i think that really allows um there is a big opportunity still to grow hemp foods and and to create more mainstream products incorporate it into more mainstream regular um products but again the fact that hemp can't process too much which is a good thing um Mm. you know limits that ability so people need to be creative there so i think there still has a very exciting future Uh, nutraceuticals also um of course is an interesting space been a bit challenging in in hemp recently because you know became a gold rush people jumping on board um for that with very little science behind that um, in comparison to what is what is used to in, in nutraceuticals so um, I think there is still an opportunity within that segment to grow also. But in terms of the industrial hemp, which is um, a really, you know, something I've always believed in and, and the people that I've worked with for decades have believed in, I think that time has now come where people are recognizing that that is the long-term future of hemp. And I think where the, there's, there's a few avenues where that's exciting, um, I'll start with uh, maybe hemp building. Um, hemp building is a phenomenal way to basically take the carbon from the atmosphere through the hemp plant and store it in the walls of a house. Um, living in a hemp house, which I don't yet do, um, surprisingly, but I still plan to do very short, shortly, um, is, is an experience. I've been in a number of hemp houses and actually living in a wall that's breathable 
is yeah. completely and utterly different to living in a regular house. And no one can actually ex know that without actually that experience. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend any listeners to go and experience being in a breathable building. Mm -hmm. um, it's like having fresh air outside without the draft, with, without the cold and the, and the heat affecting you so much. Uh, and, you know, being basically pest resistant, termite resistant, um, and can be fireproofed and, and all these other aspects, which are really important for a, a world that is being you know, affected by climate change in a lot of ways. Um, so I think building has a long way to go in terms of commercializing. It's a very different methodology to how regular buildings are put up today and being commercialized. So regular buildings are being processed and, and being made super efficient. Um, I think that is kind of thinking, that way of thinking needs to be taken to the hemp building um, industry uh, to, to make it you know, more available to people. But again, anyone can do it. It's not rocket science. If you don't want to put in a little time and labor into it and can do it themselves, you can grow your own house, literally where grow, it, <laughs> grow your crop and turn it into a building. Yeah. It's, it is quite practical to do. So that's a very exciting part of, of the future of hemp. Um, I think hemp for paper, you know, may come back at some stage. I think it's a very exciting um, opportunity. Again, why do we still use trees for paper? Yeah. We don't use paper so much anymore. Most of the world has become a digital world, but we still, paper is still around us. I'm still surrounded by paper and I prefer, and I have a virtually, a, you know, paper-free office, but I still have my... Well, when you go out like and eat at a restaurant or, you know, things like that, there's paper there is yeah, yeah there is <laughs> it paper. can be changed it can be changed it can you know uh, toilet paper can be made from hemp and it's not that rough just to be clear yeah. <laughs> you can make just like in in clothing you can make hemp and you know feel like silk and yeah. it can be 100 percent hemp there are technologies to do that hemp is not always rough and you know again these are misunderstandings it's all about manufacturing technologies and so you know hemp can be made really really well in in in, in, in all its forms um, but what I think, honestly, is, is the biggest potential for the hemp industry and that what's going to make the biggest change or what I'm focused on um, quite a lot at the moment is hemp plastics. Um, I think um, using hemp as an alternative um, to bioplastics bio um, is really going to make a difference, again, for carbon sequestration. Right. Um, you know, hemp, hemp is, you know, carbon positive. So, you know, you know in comparison to regular plastics, we can save pretty much 5.6 tons of carbon um, if we substituted current, you know, like something like ABS for, for hemp. So um, the hemp plastics company is something I started and, and you know, I guess I, I've kind of used as my philanthropy wherever I, I make any ex extra money, I put it into this business, have for mm -hmm. like 25 years. Wow. Um, and it's, it's gone through a number of iterations in over 25 years. Um, firstly, looking at, how hemp can be used in um, injection molding. And I first did that, it became expensive. It smelled because it got burnt and, and you know, the technicalities I couldn't work over. Um, but it was the first time I made it, it was the first person I think uh, who had ever made hemp plastics as far as I'm aware, maybe Henry Ford had <laughs> done that apparently in the history books. But as far as I can tell, no one actually made it. Everyone talked about the potential yeah. and no one did it. So. So, you know, hiring some consultants um, early on was, was a good idea and, and they, you know, did, did a lot of research studies. So I always knew it would be a future, um, the, you know, but that never really took off for me and I carried on with my successes. 
But over the time, I, I found another technology um, that someone had developed in Austria called, um, you know, which was called um, Zelfo. We called it Zelfo at the time, um, which was 100% hemp material, seemed phenomenal. So I brought the inventor over to Australia, which is where he was originally born. And we built a factory to produce things like hemp didgeridoos. Yeah. And those, those kind of products were phenomenal material. I still love the material. Um, I spent five or six years trying to commercialize that when I realized that the material is phenomenal, but it required specialist machinery um, and it had some challenges, we we'll say, technically as well. So it's really strong in some respects, but in other respects, it was you know, very uh, careful. You couldn't put water close to it, um, for example. So, you know, that material has come a long way since that time, but still, again, for me, is not something that's going to get to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. um, so um, about five or six years ago, um, someone else came to me with a, uh, uh, lots of people come to me, obviously, with lots of ideas. <laughs> and most of them, I'm like, yeah, sorry, I've seen that. doesn't work for this reason <laughs> or that reason. But one guy came to me and said, hey, I've got this technology for making hemp plastics commercially viable, you know, much cheaper than anybody else. I've heard that before. And then, but he showed me a few things that I was like, okay, that piqued my interest. So I ended up saying, okay, well, let's run a business. Let's, let's you know, let's, let's start this up again. I'll fund the beginning part. Let's do some trials and create, um, see if this works. So we created the technology and we ended up getting some patents. I think we've now got like 15 or 16 patents and growing um, in this where, where we can actually take um, waste streams from, from hemp industries and mm -hmm. turn those into bioplastics. We can take hemp in various forms, turn it into bioplastics significantly cheaper than anyone else has ever done awesome. in larger quantities larger quantities than anyone else has ever done so we've now set up a supply chain where we can sell in train loads um, of hemp plastics um, we've made uh, numerous products for numerous companies there is a um, I guess we have four main products today, which ranges everything from the hemp and polypropylene blend, which is very popular with a lot of companies, to the 100% hemp and um, plant-based bio bioplastic hemp PLA biodegradable form, and we set, and, and a couple of things in between for for different uses. So it's a very exciting um, options that we have. And we are looking at really larger companies. There's some companies that are going to be using our products to make um, uh, packaging. So um, cannabis packaging, these jars and, and things like this. Awesome. Um, but uh, the biggest customers that we have, I can't mention their names, I've signed <laughs> my life away, but there we have a, at least a half a dozen multinational brand names that everybody would understand and know who they are who we've been working with now for a couple of years, and it takes a couple of years in product cycle development. So we're probably not too far away from seeing some of those larger names bring their products into, we'll say, you know, maybe mainstream fast food industry, mm -hmm. um, clothing apparel, white goods, um, and, and a number of other things, you know, car manufacturers, computer companies, We've, we're working and have been for quite some time with these companies and developing specific products for them. So, which we've done, we've painted those products. We have understandings that they're going to be launching a lot of these products. Um, and I think this is what's going to make the biggest difference for the environment in terms of carbon sequestration. Right. I think it's going to be by far the largest user of hemp in the world. Um, and I think it's going to make the biggest difference. So these are probably, you know, in general, the, 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 the biggest things that I think will, will happen in him moving forward. That's amazing. 
we're, mm -hmm. we're just about um, time's up, but I kind of wanted to ask another question and I'm okay if I go over 30 minutes, <laughs> but, um, you know, going back to that vision that you had in the very beginning where you're, you know, in the village and seeing mm -hmm. how they live that healthy life, where mm -hmm. is there, you know, a balance between that type of living versus the mainstream commercial mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. providing the products that we need for the mainstream, but then mm -hmm. also how can we live more simply and, mm -hmm. and be more kind to, mm -hmm. to our environment? You know, where is mm -hmm. that, where is, where do you see is that balance? Mm -hmm. That's a great question, Rebecca. I think, um, that's what I strive to, to do in my everyday life. Um, and I, I have done, I live here in the subtropics um, of Australia, uh, where I'm surrounded by rainforest, large trees. I have my garden outside where <laughs> I grow hemp and vegetables all together. Um, you know, I have natural water source. I have solar on the, the roof, heat, solar heating as well. I have an electric car. So I'm, I'm doing the best I can to live in the most natural way I can. Mm -hmm. um, but I also have you know, a satellite connected to Starlink. So I have like, <laughs> you know, the best internet so I can keep my communications and work around the world. Um, in the most efficient way and because of COVID with you know lack of being able to travel that's forced us all um, to, to work more in this form where right. we're doing it over Zoom or something like that um, so you know I guess eating naturally I mean you know, I wake up in the morning I do exercise I, I don't eat till as late as possible um, you know I, I walk wherever I can um, I stay in nature I, I, I dance seeing whatever I have to do to, that, that doesn't take up resources in the environment. Um, you know, I guess keeping community, keeping close with your, your local friends. Um, and then I, and I still run multinational businesses uh, right now throughout the world. So I think it is possible to do, but um, it, it's an ongoing balance because yeah. the world does change. I still have to fly. I still have to go to cities because, you know, doing business in person is very important still. Yeah. Because ultimately it's about us humans. We have the opportunity to make the difference, to make the change, to to be excited about what we're doing and working together um, is what this is all about. So um, I'm, I'm constantly looking for people to work with who I can relate to, who actually want to make this difference, who want to work in harmony with nature um, as a priority and people first. Um, because, you know, successful businesses come from that foundation. And, and if they don't and they're still doing a good thing, they're still successful in my view as well. So, um, you know, I think it's really coming inside is the answer, choosing what we want to do, why yeah. we are doing it. The why is the first thing that we come yeah. to. Um, and, you know, looking at every small thing that we do, the small choices that we make in life are, are the critical ones, I find. Um, and they all add up to making a, a big difference. Yes. Thank you so much, Paul. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And you're such an inspiration. Um, and thank you so much for your time and for being on our show today. Namaste. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hemp Foundation Talks. Hemp Foundation is a nonprofit social enterprise on a mission to provide solutions for our current ecological crisis. Hemp Foundation and their brand, Uki, has created a value chain from village farms to the marketplace. Utilizing the many benefits of hemp to overcome deforestation, fight plastic pollution, and support regenerative practices to heal our earth. 
foundation supports over 250 small village farmers in the Indian Himalayan region. In addition, they employ widows and women in the production of over 500 hemp products for the marketplace. From clothing, to food, to hemp bags, a large range of textiles, embroidered fabrics, home goods, and even hemp bioplastic. To learn more, visit hempfoundation.net.